Hello everyone, and uh, welcome to episode 5 of The Bitchin' Review, the only music review show you'll ever need, um, possibly, I don't know, you'll ever want. Others are available. Others are available, and they're also very good. We're not very competitive, are we? No. No. Uh, But we are brought to you by the Bitch and Brew podcast, the podcast about music, life, and everything in between. And yeah, this is episode number five. So, um, sorry, you're Brad Thorne, by the way. You're my co-host, and I'm Danny Randon. Um, We're part of the Five Timers Club now. Yeah. So Five's a milestone. I know, right? Yeah. Does that make us a proper podcast now? Yeah, just about. So, um, it's been a week since we spoke about April's releases. We've been sort of here, we've been here the whole time. Yeah, we've been sat here for a week. We've been sat here for a week. We've been pretty bored of each other at this point. Yeah. So there may be some tensions, some (laughs) definitely not sexual tensions. (laughs) Um, No, we are, we're coming straight off the back of, of recording episode number four. Thank you very much if you checked out. I had a lovely time doing that. Yeah. It's good to kind of get back on the horse a little bit. Uh, we are still here at Brewdog in Southampton. Uh, we've gone for a different beer this time. Uh, we've gone for the Instamatic, mm-hmm. which is a white IPA. Yeah. And I must say, it's very, very refreshing indeed. Mm. Tell, tell the people how good it is while I look up the, uh, look up the tasting notes. It's um, it's nice and light, but it has got quite a hoppy flavour. Right. Um, that I would say does linger on the tongue. Um, this one isn't on the list. No. Which is good. It is quite loppy. Uh, loppy. It's quite loppy. It's, it's quite loppy. I mean. Hoppy. It's yeah. a little bit. It's a little bit citrusy again. This, this is point number two, and I can't even say words. It's quite a snazzy bouquet again. I, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I, no problem saying that again about this one. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're not here to talk about craft beers because I don't think we're quite qualified to. Um, but I do think it's finally time to talk about a bunch of releases yeah. from the world of alternative music that came out in the month of May. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're like, this is the second part of our kind of catch up, yeah. if you will. Um, so we're going to be talking about records from Biffy Clyro. Uh, Ramstein, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, Employed to Serve, The Wild Hearts, Petrol Girls, Weather State, and Tyler the Creator. That is, I mean, a lot of big names there, right? That's a big, it's got to be the biggest month of the show. Yeah, for sure, for For sure. Um, So before we go into those albums, just give you another quick plug of uh, Bitchin' Crew, the official uh, Facebook community for friends, fans and listeners of the Bitchin' Brew podcast. Mm -hmm. We're having a lovely time in there, we're kind of getting around the the Facebook algorithms, which means you can't see any of our content, they'd rather show you your racist second cousin's latest wazzing off about Britain first. Are they (laughs) even still a thing? Uh, He probably thinks they are. If yeah. He's wise enough about them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he's a prick, isn't he? <laughs> Actually, my second cousin is really, really cool. Okay. He's a journalist. He writes about cars, and he oh, quite nice. often listens to this podcast. So, hi, cool. Neil. Hi, um, Neil. Is it Neil? Did you say? Yes. Hi, Neil. <laughs> um, do you have a second cousin? Um, if I do, I don't know them. Did Did you know that my girlfriend's, I think, great? I, I want to say it's her great, great. Oh no, it might even be like her third cousin or something, is Boris Karloff. No way. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
some, wow. some classic horror movie. Yeah, some classic horror pedigree there. Yeah, oh yeah, God, for <laughs> sure. Um, so, now we're done talking about distant relatives, why don't you go and join us over on the Bitchin' Crew Facebook group, which is a place for us to tell you about all the cool stuff that's going on with the podcast at the moment, whether that's our sort of regular episodes, new episodes of the Bitchin' Review, new episodes of the Bitchin' Festival previews any other kind of shit that we've got going on the weekly updates to the bitch and tunes playlist now on spotify um but also you know it's a place for us to to hang out and to talk about music and the things that excite us and if you are in the group and you kind of have joined the group and you're just sort of you know commenting on the occasional thing and you're just taking a back seat then i'd encourage you to kind of come forward and and share with us yeah absolutely share with us what what you like in Mm. the world at the moment yeah or what you don't like you know yeah Unless you don't like us. Well, in which case... I would hate to be that kind of person that doesn't listen to any criticism of the podcast whatsoever. Mm. But, you know... <laughs> no, constructive criticism is really helpful. Yeah. And welcomed. Yeah, absolutely. Be loud, be kind, be bitching. Yeah. It's a crap tagline, isn't it? No, I like it. Okay, fine. We're going to get some merch done with that at some point, I think. For, like, mugs should mm. be the... Everyone... Merch for mugs? Merch, uh, yes. Is that what you- Mugs for mugs. <laughs> um, people have done, got enough t-shirts, haven't they? Yeah. I think I've t-shirts are cool, but yeah. mugs are... It's very on brand. Yeah, e- really well, exactly. Or we could do, like, beer koozies, like the... the keep yeah, your, keep even your beer, beer mats would be cool. Beer mats. Yeah. Oh, you've... Welcome to our monthly meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our, our marketing calendar meeting. Um, shall we talk about some music? Uh, yeah, go on then. Like we said, this is a this is a really massive month. Yeah, it's a um, big one. And we are starting on. I was going to say maybe the biggest band that we've covered on the show thus far. Would you say that? Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to think of who else we've covered that is as big. As this band, uh, I can't think of anyone we've covered who can headline festivals like Reading and Down. No, and I think the nearest person is Bring Me the Horizon. We yeah. obviously reviewed their. Um, anyway, we're talking about Biffy Clyro. <laughs> um, they kind of came out of nowhere, like the musical equivalent of Randy Orton with an RKO. Um, with uh, Balance Not Symmetry brackets official motion picture soundtrack close brackets. Mm-hmm. Um, I should mention, emphasise the fact that it is a soundtrack. It is not a score. Yeah. Um, and it is from Scotland's favourite topless sons, uh, Biffy Clyro. <laughs> um, before we kind of go into this and how we feel about Biffy Clyro in general, yeah. on the sort of soundtrack point, this is for a film of the same name, yeah. which is not yet out. No. As I understand it. Well, at the time that we're recording this, anyway. Yeah, it's I don't think due it out at the end of July, I believe. Right, okay. I don't know anything about the film, do you? Um, I know it's kind of a drama um, sort of centres around some kind of grief, some kind of loss. Right. Um, I don't know an awful lot about the plot or anything. So I think with that in mind, it's, it's really hard to critique this as a soundtrack without hearing the songs kind of in situ. Yeah. And knowing very little about the film so I think the way we should go about this is we should just look at it as the new album from Biffy Clyro well I think when it, this comes out and it, and it says official motion picture soundtrack you'd maybe expect something that isn't the 8th um, the Biffy Clyro album 
Yeah, okay, fair you'd enough. You'd expect. And it sounds like it could be the eighth Biffy Clara album to me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, before we go into that, yeah. what, how? what's your sort of history with Biffy? I absolutely love Biffy. Okay. I, I'm on the Biff every day. <laughs> I wake up, brush my teeth, shower, I'm on the Biff. Eat, sleep. I'm on the Biff. <laughs> I was going to say Biff repeat, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I've loved Biffy since Puzzle, I yeah. think was the album that I came into the Yeah, moment. that was my jumping on point. Yeah, yeah um, I think it was for a lot of people our age, you know, yeah. mid, early to mid-20s. Yeah. Puzzle was something of a, their sort of... I, I, no, actually, I suppose Only Revolutions was probably their commercial breakthrough. Yeah, I think Puzzle was certainly a breakthrough. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh for sure, yeah. compared to the previous three albums, which I have uh, since gone back to and love. Yeah. Um, their latest album, because Only Revolutions turns 10 this year, can you believe that? Not really. You just burped. And, um, yeah, it was an invisible burp. It was an invisible burp, I hope the mic And now you've just drawn attention to it. Yeah. I burped sideways. You're very self-conscious of it, you've gone bright Do you know red. what? Burping, have I actually? Yeah. I do think burping is more disgusting than farting. If someone came to me and said, look... This is just how it is. I can burp in your face. I can fart in your face. I'd say fart in my face all day long. <laughs> Burping's disgusting. <laughs> There's so much more bacteria in someone's mouth than there is in your ass. Oh, is that what you've been booking those dominatrixes to <laughs> do then? Um, yeah, I, uh, but we've had like that chorizo on that pizza, and now yeah, we're going to have spicy chorizo. burp. Spicy burp. We found the episode title <laughs> yeah. already. Um, yeah. So um, only revolutions turns ten this year. You know those memes where it's like, feel old yet? Yeah. That's that for me. Yeah. For sure. That's mad to think. Um, it's obviously, it's been, what, three years now? Coming up to three years since Ellipsis? Yeah. Um, I liked Ellipsis, but, big but here, um, it felt very pedestrian by their standards. Yeah, I think it's perhaps sometimes a bit harshly spoken of ellipsis i don't think it's a bad album in oh, any no, way it's just not. a very yeah as you said a very safe sounding album for a band like biffy claro mm. so with that in mind and with the fact that it's now 10 years since only revolutions i think that balance not symmetry is my favorite biffy album of the last 10 years yeah would that be fair to say yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad we're on board with that. I mean, just the way it opens with the title track, it feels like classic Biffy again. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, uh, it's frenetic, and what was the opening line from from Simon Neil? I don't want to talk about it. I just want to fuck what? Yeah. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. No, I'm not doing this thing where I harmonise every song, but it felt like sort of classic Biffy. Mm-hmm. It felt like. It felt like we were back in the puzzle days again of just being really sort of left of centre, but then just absolutely arena massive. Yeah. Um, and then all singing and all dancing. We're not going to do a track for track of this, by the way, because it is a fucking it's long a album. It's a really long album. 17 yeah. songs, an hour and five, maybe even an hour, ten minutes. Yeah. Um, Admittedly, not all of them are like full-length tracks, which we'll go on to in a bit, but the second track is all singing and all dancing, and originally I did think it was going to be like a a Buffy theme song cover, (laughs) with the way the the guitars started. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
you know, that and, and the way it went into a different kind of love or different cantaloupe, as I like to call it. <laughs> um, I was, first time I listened to this, I started to get a little worried. I thought, okay. oh no, they're kind of cranking up the very sort of poppy elements from Ellipsis and slowly phasing out the guitars and the, and the sort of their, their mafia roots yeah. and, and kind of going full pop on this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought different kind of love the first time I heard it. I thought it sounded like a, a bad Mumford and Sons song. <laughs> thought All Singing All Dancing was, sounded like something that should have been in The Greatest Showman. Um, but then I, I warmed to those over time, yeah. I would say. And the, the song that immediately follows that is called Sunrise. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we try not to set a bit too, you know, too much on this podcast, but just one word comes to mind with Sunrise. Riffs in it. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a. I mean, the way it just opens just completely kind of threw me. Admittedly. Yeah. Yeah, but goes back to what I said about you not necessarily expecting to hear the next, what sounds like the next Biffy Clyro album. Mm. And I mean, we should say it isn't. It isn't considered their no. right studio album, is it? No, it's By really them. not. But um, but it sounds like it definitely could be. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. I do think some more um, things more in line with a kind of traditional film score do start to seep their way in okay. a bit later on in the album. You're kind of the film nerd here, so what, what do you mean by that? I think um, things there's just a bit of piano in the latter thing. There's, um, there's the instrumental tracks. Mm, so these um, are the ones that are named after colours? Colours, yeah. Um, so there's I pink, there's navy blue, and there's yellow. Yellow. Um, I think pink is the kind of piano-led one. Yeah. Um, reminds me a lot of like what kind of Ramajwadi does with the Game of Thrones soundtrack. That very kind of. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not a bombastic kind of film score sound. It's not like John Williams esque yeah. kind of uh, bombast. It's it's kind of a, a lot more subtle. Um, I think that's where it sounds at its most soundtrackiest. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, it's the only thing that I can picture being in a movie. Because yeah. the way Biffy Clyro are with the vocals, obviously Simon Neal's vocals, which are incredible. It's hard still. to imagine it wouldn't be jarring when you're watching a film. Unless it's like a, a sort of a montage yeah. type thing, but I can't imagine a um, film. It does full feel of quite weird reviewing this without kind of having any idea how the film feeds into this and how this yeah. feeds into the film. Because I think Simon Neal spoke about how they were written kind of concurrently and they both kind of feed into each other it's not really? that the soundtrack was written once the film was completed or, or vice versa right okay so they um, develop so it they feels like they're going to be of a piece with right. each other okay that's um, interesting and it might be interesting to maybe discuss this again down the line if we get a chance to watch the film yeah because yeah, I don't know if it's got a limited release or if it's on TV or... I know it's showing um, at a film festival oh. um, I'd imagine it will get some kind of release okay Anyway, um, it's interesting. I think Biffy do have always done really, really well at... They're a good album band. Yeah. They do very well kind of painting over quite broad canvases. I think they're one of the few bands to really pull off the double album thing. I don't know how you feel about that. Um... So we're talking about opposites here. The, yeah. the double album that kind of sat between only revolutions and, and ellipsis. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't think Biffy have made a bad album. No. 
there's a lot I haven't listened to that album in a minute and there's a lot that I've forgotten from it mm-hmm. I think it's also quite top heavy yeah I, yes the first the first side definitely the first disc is definitely yeah. better than the second absolutely but I think um, I think this is if you're considering this to be a double album because it's 17 tracks then I would say um, this is I think it's just a broad canvas. It's just a lot. It's just a lot of album, and mm. I think they do really well across it to do lots of different things and just keep things really, really interesting. Mm. Um, there's a kind of a, like a repeated motif with the colours. There's even a song called Colour Wheel, which kind of isn't one of the instrumental ones. Yeah, I. So that is. So this is what I love, right? So Biffy and Massive, right? Mm-hmm. There's no point denying that Biffy Clyro are a huge band. They can walk into a festival headline slot at this point. I can imagine that actually they're headlining Isle of Wight this very weekend yeah. that we're recording it. Um, I can't imagine that they wouldn't be able to walk into a stadium at some point. I know they've done yeah. the arena thing before and the yeah. festival headline. The next natural step would be to do a stadium mm-hmm. and I think with another huge album behind them that will be possible Yeah. Um, but I cannot think of a band of, of Biffy Clyro's size and and also commercial popularity Yeah. because I'm not including bands like I don't know Radiohead in yeah. this kind of bracket who are willingly experimental and left of centre as Biffy Clyro are yeah. particularly on this record mm-hmm. you know there's when I was saying about the title track and Sunrise being like that classic Biffy Clyro sort of quite acute alt rock kind of thing yeah those are actually kind of outnumbered by the songs that in, uh, like cover more funk Soul and sort of pure pop music territory. Yeah, definitely. And e- even like, you know, sort of um, quite sombre, elegiac. Um, I, could you call it post rock? I don't know. There's if elements really, of post rock. It's very definitely. cinematic and, and quite haunting and and yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the tracks are sort of piano and just sort of Simon Neal and a piano mm-hmm. and they obviously build into something bigger over time but that's the kind of foundation of the song yeah very sort of stripped back by sort of Biffy's stadium rock standards yeah, if yeah. you will but they do it superbly mm. it's yeah this what's interesting is um, and this kind of information I have to uh, give a shout out to um my friends at the Kill Shuffle podcast, when they talked about this album, okay, they pointed out that a couple of the tracks on this were certainly share track names, um, whether or not they are actually the same tracks. With Simon Neal's announced um, ZZC solo project, yeah, for which he kind of announced uh, he released a song that I think um, got some Radio One airplay. So what I know about ZZC is. Um that he contributed a track to, to that when, drive yeah, so yeah. when Zane Lowe rescored Drive, which is one of my favourite modern films, mm-hmm. it's one of my favourite films of the 21st century. I thought it was really cool when Zane Lowe rescored it, yeah. and and because there was nothing that kind of followed that, his contribution to that soundtrack, I kind of thought that was it. Yeah, I think um, 
he kind of announced the track listing or spoke about some tracks one of which I think was Plead I think there's another one right okay um, whether or not they are the same tracks I don't know but they certainly share a name and you know ZZC was basically going to be Simon Neal very stripped back with piano mm. and electronics yeah it led me to wonder if this is a bit of a gathering of various materials from across Biffy's kind of discography and that's why you end up with some stuff that sounds a little bit more only revolutions yeah. some stuff that harks back to puzzle you're talking about tracks like Tunnels and Trees yep. and, and, and Tunnels Plead, and Trees Plead, I think Plead as well Feel, I think mm-hmm. Plead feels like a reverse history of Biffy Clyro in four minutes yeah. is what I had written down here so. um, yeah and Tunnels and Trees I think would sound very much of a piece with opposites as well mm. I think um, I mean there's no evidence to really suggest that that's the case but I, I did wonder if maybe that's how this kind of came together yeah absolutely um I feel like this has actually really reignited a love for Biffy. Yeah. A love that I really needed to be reignited after Ellipsis, which I think is good, but did leave me feeling rather shortchanged, and I don't think I felt alone in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I needed something to kind of show me that they were still going to be kind of willfully experimental, despite the fact that they are one of the biggest bands in the UK yeah. right now. And i got to say, we, we got that. We got that and, and then some. I, yeah, I, I adore this record. Yeah. Um, so, over to the, the scores. How many, how many tea bags out of ten are you giving this record? I think uh, a really, really high nine. Wow. Okay. I've... I, Explain yourself, Bradley. (laughs) I mean, I should have prefaced this also with saying that I find it very, very, very difficult to be objective when it comes to Biffy Clyro. We all have those bands, but Biffy Clyro to me are like a sonic comfort blanket. They are absolutely the band I go to if I want Mm. cheering up. The the next band we're talking about is my comfort blanket. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Explains a lot. (laughs) Explains a lot. Um... And I tend to just love absolutely anything they come out with and then have to do my best to pick it apart and analyse it. Mm. And even doing that, I can't find much to fault this album. Yeah. I don't really think there's any songs that fall flat for me. Do you, do you even like the songs that I'm not too keen on, like Different Kind of Love? and Yeah, all I love Buffy doing all that kind of stuff. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I go back to Ellipsis a lot. Do you? Even the more radio-friendly, watered-down yeah. songs... Um, like it's like crack to me. Just inject it, just into my blood. It just just yeah, stab just me, in, <laughs> just stab me in the eyes with the with the slow Biffy Clyro songs. Give yeah. give me their Matt Cardle cover any day of the week. <laughs> um, I've given this an eight out of ten. I, I think I think I prefer it to Opposites mm-hmm. as like being their their best album of the decade. But I I. Maybe I should go back to Ellipsis. Maybe this is like what we were saying about the Loyal Kana record. Maybe I should go back to the album before it. Cause yeah, it's a lot more of, I think, a weirder album than people give it credit for. Okay. Especially tracks like In the Name of the Wee Man and stuff like that. Yeah, that's very There's true. And it did have blast beats on it. it so, did, yeah. you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't necessarily just call it a... Uh, they've not sold out, have they? No. Let's face it. They're nowhere near that. No. no. It's going to be a long time before they start sounding like 
I don't know, Imagine Dragons or someone wank. It is fantastic and I think the best thing that Biffy have done in a decade, Mm -hmm. uh, in my eyes anyway. So for me an 8 out of 10, for you a very 9 high. A very 9 high. A very very 9 high out of 10. Yes. I just just had my own chorizo burp. Um, so yeah, Biffy Clyro, um, Balance, Not Symmetry, Brackets, Official Motion Picture Soundtrack. We'll probably come back to that like when the film's out. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, so next album um, comes from Employed to Serve, my own comfort blanket. Um, Eternal Forward Motion is the name of the third album from the uh, Woting Metalcore... Metalcore? Is that... Yes, in the way that it should mean. Yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah. I'm not talking about stick stickly by attack attack here. Get your crabs out. (laughs) (laughs) Potential episode title. Yeah, right there. Yeah, from the Metalcore mob from lovely Sunny Woking. Um, and, and previous guests of the podcast we had Sammy on the show recently friends um, yeah the apocalyptic riff wizard <laughs> was that what he was called was that his wrestling Sound, name yeah it was yeah. I thought he said apocalyptic riff lizard to be fair <laughs> which also sounds awesome to yeah. be fair it's yeah. like both heavy metal Godzilla <laughs> um, this is their first album on Spine Farm Records mm-hmm. which officially makes them a big deal <laughs> subsidiary of Universal Records um, are we pretty much in agreement at this point? I think we are that greater than you remember their debut album, which came out in 2015, I want to say. Yeah. Absolutely slaps. Yeah. And then The Warmth of a Dying Sun, which came out in 2017, just slaps harder, right? Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad <laughs> we're on that front. Um, Brad, what did you want Employed to Serve to do? Um, on album three kind of rip my spinal column out and just repeatedly whip me in the face with it <laughs> and leave me bloody and broken on the floor that's what I wanted them to do oh god um, can you give a serious answer while I take a sip of I, this lovely I, beer I'm not really sure what I wanted because I've, I've always been what I never really want a band to make the same album twice especially early on in their career mm. I don't think I would have turned away another Warmth of a Dying Sun sounding album no I, I don't think I would have had would that have done. I think it's a fantastic album yeah it was um, in my top 10 albums of the year as, as people might know I think I wanted to hear them doing something different okay. building on what they've already done yeah did you get that from listening to Eternal Forward Motion? Yes. Sorry, a little louder? Yes. Good, right. Um, you know, I, I think I I just wanted them to make everything a little bit leaner mm-hmm. um, and for everything to click all at once, all at one time. Because yeah. there was those moments on uh, Warmth of a Dying Sun where like the thing I referred to all the time was the bridge of I spend my days wishing them away yeah um where it just felt completely sort of overwhelming with how powerful it is Mm -hmm. so i wanted them to kind of make an album of those moments yeah and for me they have done that they've done that and they've done so much more Mm -hmm. this is a brilliant brilliant record and i don't think i could have expected any less of employed to serve to be honest Mm -hmm. Um, they sound 
everything about this just sounds more forceful. It sounds more intense. Yeah. It sounds more kind of intimidating, mm-hmm. if you will. I mean, from the off, the title track, just unrelenting. It's like it feels like from the absolute start. It feels like the wheels are about to fall off straight away. Yeah. Um, it switches between like being really fast and kind of mathy, a lot like early Employed to Serve, because yeah. that was a big thing as well with Employed to Serve is that they decided to focus more on kind of groove and sort of straightforward hardcore than yeah. they did with like the uh, Grey. Then you remember was was sort of a little bit more like mathletic, if you will. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> So it kind of switches between that early ETS sound of being quite fast and quite technical, and then that sort of mid-pace, almost post-hardcore rhythmically on the chorus. Yeah. But still like epic and really fucking heavy. Yeah. Um, and then you get like a couple of tracks into the album, you've got a song like Dalek Behind the Eyes, mm-hmm. which is the fastest that I think Employed Serve have ever gone. Can you think of any other situation where they might have gone... No. ...a little bit... Yeah? It's pretty damn fast, yeah. isn't it? Um, and then a minute and a half in, it just kind of goes into this churning, down-tuned kind of beat-down that just gets slower and slower and a little bit slower. And just when you think, like, this is just so rumbly low-end, I'm going to, like, shit myself all over again going to be like how I was with the Watch Cries EP um, that you know it gets to a point where it's so guttural and so you know just sort of like so slow paced that they essentially become like sun or something <laughs> like drone metal Yeah. and then it goes even slower than that and it's just like when will the absolute torment end <laughs> it is I mean torture has never felt quite as good as that bit on Dunlake like, Behind the Eyes, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, they are at times disgu- absolutely disgusting, aren't they? <laughs> but in... You just want more of it. Yeah. It, um, what are some of your favourite tracks on this, then? I um, I think Force Fed is my favourite song on the album. Right, OK. Um, it's them really... Um, going for a kind of seems weird to say anthemic about an album like this mm. I think there is I think this album certainly has more of a of a kind of uh, anthemic quality than I think Warmth, most of Warmth of a Dying Sun did yeah. in terms of these are songs that are going to bring in people that maybe couldn't click with some of the more expansive yeah. elements of Warmth of a Dying Sun it's going to put um, them on top of the pops. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. that be great to just see employed to serve on the the Christmas Day episode of, yeah. of Top of the Pops in their matching windbreakers in between Charlie XCX and, and Little Mix? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Force Fed is amazing. It's really good. I really like um, the kind of. I mean, it's it's not exactly a new element but there seems to be a kind of a renewed focus on on uh, the kind of vocal trade-off between Justine and Sammy, and Sammy. yeah yeah absolutely um, which is just another element it's it's a really dynamic mm. element of their sound and they're different enough for it to be yeah a really interesting trade-off yeah um, it's interesting what you say about dynamic because 
um, and, and where that kind of vocal trade-off really kind of shines, which is, in my opinion, is on the track Harsh Truth, mm-hmm. which, for, for me, I, I love Force Fed. I think it's a great song, and it was a great first single from the album. But yeah. for me, Harsh Truth is kind of the outstanding moment on the record. And I think on a dynamic level... I think it's possibly the best thing the band have ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, it adds something really kind of sinister to the equation. Obviously, like you know, we could talk all day again about the, the subject matter of the record, which is about you know the sort of mental health statistics and, and suicide statistics surrounding young males in particular. Mm-hmm probably another conversation for another time or just go back and listen to a conversation that I had with Sammy for a little bit more about what the album's kind of mm-hmm. about yeah. thematically but you know where they kind of dial down the the intensity on like a speed front mm-hmm. a little bit their, their use of space on on Harsh Truth again it, it's, it's that whole thing about simplicity being the most effective thing that I think a band can nail mm-hmm. and just making really good use of that space without throwing everything in the kitchen sink in yeah. and the way those new metal-esque guitars just add uh, something menacing to the equation with yeah. the chords serve yeah I mean new metal is something that comes into the equation on this album that they yeah more much more than well actually yeah, yeah considerably more than yeah. before um, which can be a little bit of a dirty word sometimes I suppose but uh, we don't mean it like that it's it's they've kind of upped the groove haven't they I think a lot through this yeah. album as well yeah when when you consider how much they up the groove from I think there is a bigger leap from Grey Than You Remember to Warmth of a Dying Sun than there is from Warmth to, yeah. to Eternal Forward Motion mm-hmm in terms of in terms of the groove at the very least they've brought in loads of elements since but like on a groove front from Sammy and from I mean Sammy and Richard as guitarists on this are just incredible I mean everyone on this album's amazing I think you know Robbie is epic on the drums and you know teaming up with Brett he makes a, a fantastic um, rhythm section and we haven't even we haven't really properly spoken about Justine this is her best vocal performance, isn't it? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Um, we will be talking about Justine Jones as one of the kind of best vocalists of her generation. She has really stepped out on this record. Mm-hmm. When I had to leave Employed to Serve, Serve's Tent early to go and do one of my chats for the Slam Dunk special, I missed out on probably about half of their set. Yeah. And we, however, we both kind of recognised how much of a, not necessarily a rock star she's become, but she's definitely become a lot more sort of front and centre. Yeah. Especially on the live front, she's become a lot more involved in, like between tracks as well. Yeah. Her crowd interaction. Definitely. I think her growth as a vocalist is arguably the biggest thing that's kind of grown within Employed to Serve from yeah. album to album on this. So I would agree with that, yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, we will be talking about her as one of the best vocalists of of her generation. If, we, if we're not doing that already, and mm-hmm. to be honest, we're getting there, aren't we? Yes. So, the scores. Um, yeah, for me, 9 out of 10. I can't deny the fact that... I mean, I wouldn't even want to deny it, 
I just think Employed to Service straight up becoming one of the best bands that we can claim as our own in yeah, the UK. Absolutely, they are probably the heavy band that excite me the most at the moment, with the possible exception of someone like Code Orange, maybe. But in terms of British bands, I just think in terms of this kind of heavy hardcore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. of course this this stretches beyond borders, doesn't it? Yeah. That's quite a blanket statement. Nine out of ten. Yeah. From me. Awesome. One of the best albums of the year so far for me, for sure. So that's Employed to Serve, Eternal Fall of Motion, and we'll see you on the Christmas episode of Top of the Pops. <laughs> right. So now for an album which you look very, very, very <laughs> excited to talk about. You were telling me off mic about a little a little dance. Yeah, you... I've made a dance that I do. To, are we going to call it radio or are we going to call it radio? It feels only right to call it radio. Radio. Yeah, I can't call it radio. Uh, anyway, we are talking... You said it was not safe for work. Yeah, NSFW. Much, much, um, much like every music video by this band. <laughs> we are, of course, talking about Rammstein um, and their untitled mm-hmm. album. Or it's... People are pretty much referring to it as self-titled as opposed yeah. to untitled, but it doesn't have a title. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the seventh album from the pioneers of Neu Deutschharte, um, which translates as New German Hardness. I'm going to put a disclaimer in there, actually. Mm-hmm. I do not speak German. Me neither. Okay. So... I'm just putting that out there now. So we're not going to try. If, yeah, exactly. If it's not the words Schnell, Schnubacht, Scheiser, or Mein Radio, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm screwed. Yeah. So I'm just going to put that out there now as a disclaimer and an apology if I mispronounce anything before I turn this review into an episode of Hello, Hello. <laughs> just saying that now. Are we agreed? Agreed. You studied languages, didn't you? So Yes. Um... um. What, what, what languages were they? Mostly dead languages. Oh, what, like, Heilung? Like, yeah. <laughs> Fair that enough. That was more the kind of, yeah, the wheelhouse. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Is that so you could start your own Mongolian throat singing project? Um, don't rule it out. Yeah. yeah. Never rule anything out. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, this is the first album in nine years... Mm-hmm. As I understand, is yeah. it is it nine years? I think since yeah. Libris for Alada. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so a new Ramstein album, by all accounts, is again a fucking big deal. Yeah. Um, we've not had a reason to talk about Ramstein on the Bitch and Review yet, or even on just Bitch and Brew in general. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship with the band? I have. Um, and and this is a mistake that I've made but we'll get on to that I have never taken Ramstein seriously at all right okay I see uh, pictures of, of Till Lindemann kind of a, on stage with big spunking cocks and stuff like that yeah. and it's just never sort of <laughs> just I've broke for the listeners I've broken Danny I think he's crying. <laughs> no, it's okay, sorry. I knew this was going to be a hard one to review. <laughs> I was like, keep it together, he's only said Big Spunking Cox once. <laughs> sorry. Um, 
So a big theatrical metal is not my bag. Never has been. <laughs> right, okay, fair enough. Um, Especially of the industrial quality. Yeah. Because I obviously call them uh, new or neu or new Deutschart, new German hardness, which was kind of a term coined as a result of their debut album. But it's kind of a mixture of industrial, mm-hmm. operatic. Yeah. Symphonic metal. Yeah, really. I so, yeah. I think that's fair enough, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, with that in mind, were you remotely excited for a new album in any way? Nope. No. I mean, I, I recognised. I'd say I was interested. I recognised it's one of the bigger releases of this year. Yeah. Especially in the alternative sphere. Yeah. It's one of the big ones, so I was definitely interested. I, I don't think I was excited mm. at all. I think album-wise. I've only really cared for, for Muta, mm-hmm. which came out, what, early noughties. That was mm-hmm. the one with Sona and Firefly and um, uh, Mix 234, mm-hmm. um, Mine Brand, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of their, I think, what you would possibly call their commercial breakthrough. Yeah. Uh, that's the only album I've really cared for album-wise. I have listened to the other albums between Muta and... Um, and uh, this untitled album but only very much in passing I've never been fully invested in any of the records otherwise but yeah. I still think Muta is a fantastic record mm-hmm. and probably not what most normal seven-year-olds would have been listening to around my age <laughs> um, so I don't know I think I was like I've always been very impressed with Rammstein live even have you seen I'm, them live? Before? Yes, I have. Oh, wow. Yeah, I saw them at Sonosphere in 2010. Mm-hmm. Might have even been 11. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, it was every bit as fantastic as you would expect it to be. Yeah. There were big spunking cocks. <laughs> Do not <Yes>. worry. <laughs> um, so, I heard Deutschland, uh, which is the first track on this album, and the first single that they put out. Yeah. Um, and I do remember thinking, okay, this is like a cool mid paced Rammstein song. Mm-hmm. Sounds very Rammstein. Yeah. Um, and it's just another song that will no doubt sound even bigger live, even when I see Rammstein again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you hear Radio. So, mine, Bradio. <laughs> <laughs> Banger of the year, isn't it? I've seen you going nuts over this song on, on Twitter. Yeah, it's really... This song has just latched into my brain. What, just, how, what What? do you think it is about the song that's just... I think it's not even just the song. Um, the, the thing about Radio is that the chorus, which basically just consists of him saying, Mine Radio. Radio. <laughs> mine Radio. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one that gets stuck in my head, and that's the one that I walk around singing. You probably or look shouting. really weird in the office. Don't I, you? Don't. <laughs> I don't do it in the office. Um, but to be fair, the whole album has. This album took me so much by surprise. Really? If someone had said there's a new Ramstein album coming out this year, and you are going to absolutely love it, I'd have. I've just spat in their face and beat them up <laughs> and taken their money. It is undeniably the best album that Rammstein have done 
for me personally since Muto, I know other people mm -hmm. really like like yeah. Rise of Riser and I know Liberist for Alada was was a good album. People mm -hmm. really liked it, you know, people really liked uh, you know, tracks like Pussy from that album and some people even liked it so much they ordered the deluxe box set with do you know about this? No. The deluxe box set of the album came with a set of dildos modelled on the actual members of the members. Wow. Yeah. That's very... Strong uh, marketing right there. Yeah. Well, I suppose that depends. Yeah, that's very yeah. brave. I know, right? <laughs> One um, of them's there like, I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> I'm, I'm weighing over my head, <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, this one's completely knocked me for six as well. I, I did not expect to be into a new Rammstein yeah. album in 2019, as mm -hmm. I kind of am. Yeah. I think this is a funny one to review for me because I have so little pre-existing knowledge of Rammstein and their sound. Yeah. I know song, I do know Mine, Hers, Brent and, and, yeah. and Sonna and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't have a particularly... Um, vast knowledge of what they sound like. I mean, had to, have they ever sounded this kind of Euro pop and dancey before? Um, I think this is probably their biggest incorporation of popular elements. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Flake, their um, uh, keyboardist, plays a massive role on this album, mm -hmm. especially on a song like uh, Auslander. Mm -hmm. Um, it's another favourite of mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, Radio as well, obviously, mm -hmm. has you know huge incorporation of synths as well as Deutschland. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of forgotten how hard hitting Rammstein can be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not to keep going back to it, but the guitars on Radio and uh, you know, actually, the, probably the guitars throughout the record, to be honest, are. Um, are really sort of really beefy. Yeah, they are. Yeah, um, beefy. There's a real stomp even in the drums as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think they've always had that for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it just kind of worn away over time, and mm -hmm. it feels it feels like an you know I I don't really know what I expected from a Rammstein album. I didn't really expect it to be not heavy in any way, mm -hmm. but I didn't quite expect it to sort of stomp as much as it did yeah. the, the second to last song Tattoo I mm -hmm. think is an excellent example of that as well yeah. um, someone I do want to talk about um, you mentioned him already Till Lindemann because mm -hmm. um, uh, they're all sort of late 40s early 50s at this point most of them are in their 50s mm -hmm. Till Lindemann is the oldest member of the band he is 56 years old um, and this, for me, is his best vocal performance to date. Okay. I obviously, have not speaking German, mm -hmm. don't understand a word he's saying. I have no. not gone to the effort of looking up what he's singing about. Mm -hmm. But it's just testament to his ability as a vocalist that you don't need to know what he's singing about for his vocals to be so kind of telling. Yeah, he feels like a storyteller, even though I don't understand. Yeah, what he conveys the... a lot of kind of what, a feeling, yes, and, exactly. and a range of things, even though you don't understand what he's saying. Yeah, I love his kind of just really distinctive kind of baritone mm. vocal that he has as well. I, I, you know, I don't feel like I, I need even need to understand his delivery is just so 
you know, it's almost operatic in yeah. a way. You don't, for the most part, anyway. Certainly for people like us who are very sort of, you know, Neanderthal-esque people <laughs> who only speak English. Well, no, you speak a little bit of I don't know, high um, lung. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. We, where I don't understand the German language, or what I was saying was, sorry, to go back to it, you know, where our sort of vocabulary outside of English is very limited. Mm-hmm. You watch something like an opera, you don't really need to know what they're, they're singing, like an Italian opera or something, because the way they sing it is, is telling the story itself. Yeah. And, and that, you know, yeah. I think that kind of ties in. He has a very operatic delivery. Yeah. There's a song in the middle of the record, which I think a lot of people have been kind of regarding as the centerpiece of the record, mm-hmm. uh, called, is it Papa or...? Um, <laughs> I've heard it Papa, I've heard it Poopa. Yeah. I, I don't know the correct one, unfortunately, but... Um, where they have always been such a sort of go big or go home band, the most effective moment of the record is where it is literally stripped back to just a thundering drumbeat until sounding absolutely furious. I think it's possibly the angriest they sound. It's that moment. It it's is really uh, yeah. arresting and, yeah. and really actually quite sinister. Mm. Have you well. heard much about the sort of the story behind the yeah, song? Yeah, I'm familiar with this. I, d- yeah. I don't. I don't have it to hand or anything mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say listen to um, listen to Riot Act because it's actually a good podcast <laughs> that do their yeah, research yeah they, they summed that up yeah really yeah nice yeah fantastic I think said. another th- a thing that's cool and it, it's not really anything to do with the music but just something I think is really cool about this album is the kind of mystery at the kind of the heart of it I think like mm. the it's an album that has come out after such a long wait yep. without a title with um, very minimalist artwork minimal promotion before Minim- this way. the band haven't really done any press I don't think have they? no or, I don't think very much um, at all like you said not really very much promotion and I think part of that is what prompted me to not go and start translating the lyrics and, yeah. and looking up things because I think it's very much been given to people to kind of be interpreted and to be mm. which is a, not often that bands do that in this day and age I don't think I think that's like a really really cool thing yeah yeah to absolutely. do with this album yeah I think um I, I've, I've perhaps given this a harsh mark because while I don't think you know while I think this is brilliant mm-hmm. and and the best album that Ramshine has made in, in quite some time. I've still given it a 7 out of 10. Okay. Because I think it's great in small doses. Mm. It is bombastic. It is strangely catchy yeah. by Ramstein standards. It's kind of made for stadiums and, and festival headliners with, you know, tons of pyro, no mm-hmm. doubt. Um, but... I do find I come to the end of the record and I go, okay, well that's that's great. It's not. I'm not instantly in a rush to put it on again. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of kind of get my get my fill yeah. from from one listen for at least a few days at a time. Yeah. I'm go- I'm going to go with an eight. Okay. Because I, I I agree with what you're saying. Actually, it's not one that I want to have on repeat. Yeah. But I get so much enjoyment out of putting it on when I'm in the car or whatever mm. and for that it gets an 8 
Well, there we go. That is the untitled seventh album from Randstein. Seven from me and an eight from Mindbradio. <laughs> right, now to talk about one of the, uh, well, I suppose one of the albums that we've been sort of building up to talk about for, well, pretty much since the start of the Bitchin' Review, mm-hmm. um, because we saw him live at the start of the year. Uh, Frank Carter um, and his trusty Rattlesnakes. Um, this is their third album. It's called The End of Suffering from the king of Watford Punk, his mate Dean Richardson, and then some other blokes as well. Um, I'm only joking. No, when we saw them live in February, was it? I want to say. Yeah. Uh, he was brilliant, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he was brilliant. I, I, I think he was on absolutely magnificent form. I think the songs from Modern Ruin, even the ones that I was kind of a little bit lukewarm about, because mm-hmm. I think I think Modern Ruin was a good album, and Blossom, his sort of debut album as Frank Carter and Rattlesnakes, was brilliant. Mm-hmm. So I think really the kind of the stark contrast between the two possibly just made my response to Modern Room a little Modern Room Modern mm-hmm. Ruin. Uh, a little bit sort of lukewarm yeah um, but even those songs that he played off Modern Ruin he gave a little bit of just a little bit of that that Frank Carter edge you know yeah. a little bit of a, an extra snarl to it yeah and I must say they are songs that I probably prefer on the live front would mm-hmm. you would you yeah do you feel the same that. way yeah so yeah. I was very intrigued to see where he would go next on the end of suffering because I think he left it very kind of open-ended mm-hmm. really especially with the transition from Blossom to um, Modern Ruin being so sharp it was a real sharp left turn yeah. for me yeah it was a it was a big leap I think there are heavier moments on Modern Ruin where I think he kind of left the door open to yeah. Still make a heavier sounding record mm. next. Um, I didn't really think he would do that. No, did you think he would go even sort of more into that um, kind of, I don't know, what can you call it? I you definitely can... expected the jump to not be quite as big. Right, that okay. Makes sense. So yeah. I, I think I expect someone like Frank Carter at the point that he's at as a musician to, to do something different. Mm. But I certainly didn't expect as much of a big leap right. on this album. So with that in mind, how do you feel about End of Suffering? This is a, a really good album, I think. Mm. How about you? Yes. <laughs> cool. There well, we thanks go. for so, listening. Yeah, no, it's Frank Carter and the Rats, mate. No, um, yes, I really, really like this album. I think that it makes a lot of the stylistic decisions on Modern Ruin make a hell of a lot more sense. Okay. I think I think it is an album that I, I kind of was expecting to happen. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, the first track we heard from this was Crowbar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is arguably the heaviest track on the record. Yeah, certainly so. vocally. Yeah. Anyway, 
Um, it does bring in a lot of things that we've not really heard Frank experiment with so much before, things like electronics and a sort of industrial vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still kind of got a bit of a hip wit, uh, sort of a hip shaker garage rock vibe to it as well. Yeah. Um, hearing the songs that we that we heard during that that show in February um, on record, kind of knowing that they do come across a little bit sharper on the, you know, again with what we we're saying about the modern run songs, they are given an extra layer of punk punkiness yeah on the live front especially yeah. a song like tyrant lizard king which he did play at um yeah he did yeah. At, at this show um but not with tom morello on guitar <laughs> amazing uh, little guest spot from tom morello i yeah. must say yeah um and and heartbreaker he played as well which is one of the, the sort of the faster but ultimately very commercially palatable songs on the record yeah um it, it seems that, and I don't want to become too presumptuous, but it seems that Frank makes his sort of boldest musical decisions when he's perhaps in a bit of a sort of a quandary, if that makes sense. When you think about when he left Gallows and did Pure Love, he mm-hmm. was kind of trying to refine himself musically. Yeah. It didn't go quite so well. Mm-hmm. When, when Blossom came out, it was he was in a really spiteful and angry place. Mm-hmm. And now we have End of Suffering. It's kind of been, you know, it's kind of, it, it's been very heavily influenced by a lot of turbulent events in Frank's life over the last couple of years. Yeah. So I think above all, I definitely respect the fact that he's not going to kind of become complacent even at the most challenging times for him personally mm-hmm. I've got a hell of a lot of respect for him to do that yeah you know he, he'll kind of see a, a not so great situation and instead of business as usual Frank Carter he'll give us something he'll make art out of some very difficult times exactly yeah it's absolutely something he's very good at I think Frank Carter and Rattlesnakes one of the things that I think makes it very cool is that each album that he's done with the Rattlesnakes feels like a snapshot of where he is in his life at that particular time. Yeah, you have a very... Yeah, exactly. And um, I would rather have an album like this than him phone in the Angry Frank yeah. thing, you know? Like, come um, on, mate, it's been 10 years since Great Britain. You fancy doing that again? Well, no, because it's not where Frank Carter is in exactly, his life right it now. Would be, um, he's it so would be sick forced, of singing about it? hate, Brad. <laughs> you know it. Um... I know there's been a lot of... This album has actually proved a little bit divisive because of how sort of um, commercially... I don't want to say commercially viable because I think that sounds a bit sort of snivelly industry kind of term, but how sort of um, clean and and sort of melodic and and sort of radio... Radio ready. Not necessarily radio friendly Mm because you think about Frank, now he's playing from the top at Reading this year <laughs> it is rock music that has a bit of sort it's of accessible un- I think to it's accessible it has a bit of a, a sort of a garage rock dirtiness to it and a mm-hmm. sort of you know when you think about the subject matter of some of the songs one of the best songs on the album for me is Kitty Sucker yeah um, Latex Dreams as well 
um, you know, these are these are kind of dark and, and adult subject matters. Yeah. But it's it's done in a way that makes them sort of festival sing along anthems. Yeah. In a way, this is what he was trying to do, I think, with Pure Love. But to yeah. a far lesser extent. Yeah. I think the biggest difference is he's got an amazing songwriter on board this time in the form of Dean. Yeah. I think this is also Dean's biggest contribution to the Rattlesnakes on record mm-hmm. since. Yeah. He's a very accomplished guitar player. He's, well, fan- yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, the Rattlesnakes are much more than some of their parts, I think, mm. than, than, than Pure Love. Um, I do think if you, if I take this album and had to put it kind of in a genre or put where it sits in the kind of musical landscape at the moment, I think it kind of it does sit with like the Royal Bloods and the Nothing But Thieves and that kind of band. That mm. is, what sets it apart, I think, is the fact that it's Frank Carter and his personality is all over the records. Um, and and part of that personality is the kind of the spikiness, yeah, and the honesty, um, and his kind of punk background as well. So I think it's streets ahead of any of those bands, but yeah, there's, in terms there's of a genre, conviction to it. Mm. Um, and it's also we haven't mentioned it's probably I, I'd say it's his best vocal performance to date. Yeah, it's it's really often pointed out that Frank's not the most technically gifted singer mm. in the world. Um, but I think in this album he's come a hell of a long way yeah. since his Gallows days and even since Blossom I think he's become a really really strong yeah. vocalist I, I would love to hear him re-record I Hate You or something like that just to kind see of see how far he's come yeah, since yeah. Then, I, yeah I mean I wouldn't like him to kind of put it out I'd like him to just do like a little recording session for me just for me to hear it <laughs> and just kind of although I, I don't think I really need that to know how great a, a singer he's become um, yeah. the song Anxiety yeah is a is a real big one on this one for me yeah um, I think it's my favourite on the album really okay yeah. fair enough I think it might be my one as well. Mm-hmm. I was I, I was saying when we reviewed the show, I found myself very affected mm-hmm. by the sort of message behind the song, and I think for for all for this kind of ten years of kind of post Great Britain, I think Frank has kind of been painted into a corner a little bit of being a sort of very uh, an almost quite I don't want to use the word invincible, mm-hmm. but you know a very in your face inability to show kind of a more vulnerable side Mm -hmm. and this is him embracing that to a wonderful kind of extent I suppose yeah I think um, a lot was made about this album before its release of it being his most honest kind of transparent Mm. thing and sometimes when you get statements like that coming out before an album don't always know how much to kind of believe it or whether to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt is it just kind of a PR thing I think this is absolutely Frank going incredibly personal yeah. and digging very very deep into his own personal um, traumas and things that he's been through in the last few years mm. um, it's quite affecting I think yeah, at numerous points. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, it, it's it's great to hear that song 
on record at last. I was very excited to hear that after after hearing him do it live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what what is there anything that you think you would change about this record? Because mm. I don't know about you, but I, as much as I think this record is great, I don't know what it is that's kind of making me feel a little bit tentative towards it. Yeah. I, I don't know, know if it's just a little bit of what we're used to Frank doing. Quite possibly. It's um, hard to kind of paint yourself out of that corner. Yeah. I think I think Blossom is still my favourite Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes album. I think it is as well. Um, and that, it feels awful to say I, I prefer Frank doing that because after everything I said about loving how he doesn't phone it in you know he just does mm. an honest representation of where he is at that time so no there is nothing I would change about it mm. even though it's not my favourite does that make any sense yeah yeah no no exactly yeah. you, you even if it's something that you don't quite Personally like him prefer, doing yeah. and you would maybe hope he does even better on the following record mm-hmm. to change it would be to kind of you know, it's it's not your art to change. Exactly. At the end um, of the day, and I do really love it as an artistic statement, and mm. as a as a point of growth for an artist like Frank Carter as well. Yeah. To shed his skin as the kind of punk rock, angry, furious mm. guy to completely shed that skin and come out with an album like this is a kind of amazing artistic statement that you know. And I guess just another person to promote a culture of honesty mm-hmm. and an openness yeah something that we really we really need right now so yeah, yeah full full respect to, to to frank and the rattlesnakes for that one uh, it's called the end of suffering or oh, sorry just end of suffering isn't it mm-hmm. um and that's out now so um god we've got so many massive releases to talk about today because <laughs> um, the next one uh, comes from the wild hearts mm-hmm. Um, it is called Renaissance Men. It is album number nine from the uh, Brit Rock Legends. I'm going to call them Legends anyway. Yeah. Um, it is there. So a couple of milestones with this one. It's their first album in a decade, um, and it marks the reunion of what many people see as the classic Wild Hearts lineup. Okay. So Ginger, CJ. Uh, Danny and Rich mm-hmm. um, I've spoken before about the wild heart, what the Wild Hearts mean to me mm-hmm. um, if you want to hear more about that then go back and listen to the podcast I did with my dad um, of that kind of Brit Rock generation of bands I would say they're one of the best in their class Sorry, there is some someone laughing very loudly yeah. downstairs. I don't know if you can hear that, dear listener, but if you can, you'll know it is as annoying as it sounds. Um, what I was saying was, next to next to a band like Ash, yeah, they are the best in their class of bands. Other other bands in that class include like Therapy and Terrorvision and Reef. A lot of bands that I think kind of struggled to. to it's a bit hard to say, but like, because I was very young at the time. Mm-hmm. But where there was kind of Britpop dominance, it was it was hard for those bands to shine through. But they they got their respect when where they needed it. Yeah. Um. 
So I definitely understand the perception among younger people that they are at this point a bit of an old man's band. Yeah. Um, do you have any feelings on the Wild Hearts? Bro? Um, no, save for the fact that they are a band that you love and that mean a lot to you, and seemingly a band that people about 10 to 15 years older than me really like as well. Mm. I don't have really any uh, previous yeah. or... I think that's kind of telling when they were announced for 2000 Trees. It seemed like uh, there was it, it was quite a polarised sort of, of, of response to it. Mm. I was definitely on the side of, oh my God, this is going to be amazing because I know how good they are on the live front of combining sort of hard rock with um, insatiable, almost classic pop melodies yeah. of the sort of almost like 60s pop melodies yeah. if you will but still having it sound like really fucking heavy yeah um, it's not been smooth sailing for the Wild Hearts in the last few years they've not been the most consistent of fans although I thought the, the album that came before this called Chutzpah was, um, was great um, and, it, and it has been a kind of a turbulent few years especially for Ginger who is an absolute songwriting machine just shitting out albums <laughs> at a constant rate um, great albums as well but he's had his various experiences with his own health and well-being um, which he writes about a lot and sings about a lot on this album so um, so it definitely felt like going into Renaissance Men that they had a lot to prove yeah. and there was a huge weight upon their shoulders especially with the it's been a while classic lineup gingers kind of on the on the road to um, sort of recovery after mm-hmm. after its various experiences um, with that in mind how do you feel about renaissance men i was immediately very pleasantly surprised when i hit play to hear how hard it goes you know? <laughs> I was it's uh, dislocated isn't it the first yeah. Um the kind of I don't know but I've never listened to the Wild Hearts before I've not okay. listened to a Wild Hearts album before you've not even um, listened to um, I suppose the classic Earth versus the Wild Hearts I have not okay, I have right, not I enough. mean I've heard things about them I was ex- I wasn't expecting it to sound quite as kind of furious okay. as it does. For there to be quite as much punk mm. attitude in it yeah. as there is. They always did have that advantage on a lot of bands. I think mm-hmm. a lot of those Brit rock bands did, you know, on they had that advantage on someone like Euro Oasis or Blur or Supergrass or someone like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of continued all the way through the album just mm. being very I think this is a really really good album that's awesome to hear I'm yeah. so glad you think that because I think there are things that people aren't going to gravitate towards very easily on this album mm-hmm. say the title track which yeah. has a sort of it sounds weird to say but an almost piratical <laughs> sort of chorus yeah not in a sort of Aelstorm wenches and me sense but there is like a sort of a joyful camaraderie. Yeah. It sounds almost like a sort of an Irish drinking song or yeah, something. It does. Um, 
And I know a lot of people are kind of going to thumb their nose at that and think it's all a little bit silly. But, so the Wild Hearts, they're in their, their late 40s and, well, actually, Ginger is 54 now. Mm-hmm. He's 54 years old. Um, they play this record like they're in their late 20s. Yeah, again. absolutely. I, and I don't mean they sound like they're in their late 20s or early 30s or whatever. Because I think that would be that would be cringy. We've had loads of that with bands over the years who just try and like maintain their youth in their sound, yeah. um, and it's just not played off very well at all. Mm. They play with the same level of energy as the Wild Hearts did 25 years ago, mm-hmm. 25 plus. Um, Ginger's voice is kind of a. I think I think this goes for the whole band in particular. It kind of has a sort of uh, a grown old gracefully. Ginger's voice is quite weathered. He's always had that kind of 40 fags a day husk yeah. to his voice. Yeah. But he has a, almost like a lived in voice. Yeah. But he's still able to carry melodies superbly well. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of reflects in the way the band have approached these really quite heavy, punky, hard rock songs at some yeah. point. They, they, are, they are kind of... They're growing old gracefully. I don't think anyone ever expected that of the Wild Hearts a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the overwhelming feeling I have with this album is just really being really pleasantly surprised yeah. for it not to sound like I. Because they're, they're obviously they're no spring chickens, and I was expecting. I think I was just expecting it to sound more tired than this, and it right, just okay. absolutely doesn't. <laughs> no. Um, they made me look very stupid for really ever thinking that. No, it's, I think one of the biggest things as well on this record is they sound like they're having fun. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I was listening to this album, and I, I, I don't know if I was kind of made this up in my head, but I feel like this album is kind of sequenced as though it's almost like a live show, like a live set. Oh, it's got yeah. this kind of... And all I could think, um, particularly the first time I played it, was of being in a pub. And watching them and, and sort of jumping around and everyone's spelling the pints everywhere. And yeah. That is just the imagery that it conjured wow, okay. from track one all the way until the end. I think any album that can do that at, mm. and um, and make me feel that way is, yeah. is really, really great. Um, my favourite song on this record is called Diagnosis. It's my favourite so, too. Yeah, around the middle of the album it has a build to it that feels and this is a kind of a, a, a lofty statement if you will um, it has an almost ACDC kind of build to it sort of Bond Scott era ACDC yeah I think there's quite a lot of ACDC in yeah. the wild hearts right just yeah, yeah. Um, a, an appreciation for classic rock if you will um, and you know that kind of eventually absolutely explodes into a I compared it to the Foo Fighters. Yeah. How big it sounds. It reminds me one of my one of my favourite music documentaries is the Foo Fighters Back and Forth. Yeah. Documentary which uh, kind of centred around the making of uh, Wasting Light, which is yeah. from the one they made in Dave Grohl's garage, and it was mm-hmm. Dave Grohl basically off a run of albums which not everyone loved. Let's face it. It took them to big heights, but on a creative level, I, I think it, they sounded a little bit tired after all of it. Yeah. So it was Dave Grohl going, let's go back to making records the way we used to fucking make records. Yeah. And it was them kind of all living together and uh, and really testing themselves by recording everything onto tape. And I think yeah. they've 
they've stuck to that method since. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the the song itself is very sort of joyous, in in the same way that Foo Fighters on that Wasting Light album sounded. Yeah. Um, but it's actually quite. Um, it, it's a song about the mental health and kind of care system in the UK yeah. and how it's completely fucked yeah. and I don't think anyone really expected that of the Wild Hearts considering they're kind of they always used to sing a lot about kind of hedonism that they were very evocative of their own personalities you know yeah. it kind of their, their hedonism kind of reflected in the music so yeah. I don't think they anyone ever expected them to make a, a song that was Yes, was sobering in its theme, yeah. but ultimately was very sort of joyous. Yeah, yeah, it's a really clever. Um, I'm going to use that word juxtaposition mm. again. You know, between a very heavy. Uh, we were talking about pop on the last album, a very heavy thematic and lyrical content, but a very upbeat. Yeah, as you said, joyous song. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so for me. Uh, Renaissance Man gets um, an 8 out of 10 um, I, I really think they're going to struggle to make Earth Versus again not that I think anyone would want them to mm-hmm. but this for me is the album that the Wild Hearts needed to make Yeah. Um, and I think in doing so they, they kind of quash any preconceived notions of them being a a nostalgia band in quotation marks yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go eight as well. I think, oh, cool! Because I was so pleasantly surprised, and that is so awesome to Where hear. do I go next? Is Earth versus the Wild Hearts where Earth, I should go next? Earth, Earth versus the Wild Hearts, absolutely. Cool. Um, so yeah, that's Renaissance Men by. Uh, did I call it Renaissance Boys earlier? I don't I think so. Okay, well, Renaissance Men <laughs> um, by the Wild Hearts, and that's out now. Yeah. So uh, the next album we've got coming up. Feels like quite a weird one for us to be doing. We were talking on the last episode about why we decided to include Loyal Karna mm-hmm. uh, in the podcast because we thought he kind of qualified as alternative hip hop. Yeah. Um, but now we have um, another hip hop album to talk about, um, and it comes from Tyler the Creator. Um, you, you were the one who kind of we 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 do sort of have a sort of. We go. We often agree on the sort of albums we want to cover. Yeah. And it was more your idea than mine to cover this album. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about why? Why this? Why now? Um, I, I don't know um, if you know why this album specifically. But I feel like Tyler the Creator is one of the very prominent figures. Of kind of alternative hip hop okay. the last sort of decade or so. Yeah, I would say he's someone who has ties to the world of rock and kind of hardcore. I think in the past, right, uh, uh, with things like trash talk, exactly. And what yeah. Have you. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's even done albums in the past that kind of have that. Um, I can't remember the name of the album. Is it called? <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, you're you're asking cherry, the cherry bomb. Cherry bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is the one that's kind not of, an album I've checked out. Uh, it's quite a weird album. Okay. It, um, so um, I 
thought if we can do Loyal Carnival, we can definitely do Tyler Creator, who has yeah. a lot of kind of alternative appeal, I think, whether or not that's still the case on this album, or has been the case on his last couple. Yeah. I mean, it, so Odd Future mm-hmm. is kind of where Tyler, the Creator, kind of came out of, uh, came from, if yeah. you will. He was the leader of... Odd Future, a sort of hip-hop collective that felt very much like the Wu-Tang clan of their day. Yeah. Um, it felt, when they kind of came out and played things like Brixton Academy, it felt like a bomb-dropping yeah, with Odd it really Future. Did. It felt like a sort of a pop culture phenomenon. It was, I think, that I can think in, in my lifetime, one of the biggest kind of youth movements, kind of cultural... Mm. things that seemed to just grab the attention of the youth. It was provocative, it was really off the wall, it was a kind of multimedia product, the way they kind of grew popular through things like merchandise and through TV shows and, yeah. and, their, and their online videos as well. Yeah. Um, who was your favourite member of Odd Future? No, it was always Tyler. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because my favourite release from Odd Future my, my favourite member of Odd Future and kind of the person who's done the best release from that camp although I don't think it was technically an official Odd Future release mm-hmm. um, it was uh, Channel Orange by, oh, okay. by Frank Ocean which yeah. I think is an absolute masterpiece it's very obviously very different from the I, I hate to use the term but horrorcore uh, yeah. hip hop vibes of Odd Future he was very much the singer of the group mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a, a atmospheric neo soul record. Yeah. But um, that was always my favourite, and yeah. I think that kind of distanced itself from Odd Future a fair bit. It's a really good record. It's very very easy to forget actually mm. about Frank Ocean being yeah. part of Odd Future. Um, so that um, with that in mind, it's been a minute since I really cared about Tyler the Creator. I'll be uh. honest. Um, I think we're definitely. A long, long, long old way away now from the Tyler the Creator that we knew off of things like Goblin and Bastard and what have you. Yeah. His first couple of records yeah. and that iconic video for Yonkers. Yeah. Um, I also think he was he was a little bit of a problematic character as well. Yeah, back then certainly he certainly toned down a lot of those more problematic, mm. um, offensive. Yeah things that he was doing not things we need to talk about in this no. you know it was bad taste I would I would call it and yeah. it kind of left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth and eventually I just kind of had to put it down and go look this is just not for me mm-hmm. um, and then the next thing I know he's writing the fucking official soundtrack to The Grinch <laughs> which I thought bizarre so we've come to Eagle which mm-hmm. is his is it his fifth yeah, it's his fifth album. kind of studio album, yeah. Um, when I first stuck this on, I had to double-check it was actually the right album. Because wow. it is virtually unrecognisable from what I last properly paid attention to from Tyler, the creator. Ah. Um, I kind of... I, I, I'm getting that you kind of know more about his post-odd-future um, material. I've kept up with his releases pretty consistently. Right, OK. Um, I really like... Him, I, I've really enjoyed seeing his growth, um, not only as a vocalist, but also just kind of as a as a producer and as a um, 
as a songwriter because I think it's worth pointing out that he produced, wrote, and arranged this album. Yeah, himself. Um, he's um, he's a fantastic producer. I should say that. Yeah, well. I think seeing him, his early stuff is very much a very simple kind of beats mm. and, and kind of overdriven bass a lot of the time. I mean. From what I can recall, his his kind of production style was very lo-fi, very sample-heavy, mm-hmm. loads of sort of like chopped and screwed keys, because mm-hmm. he's, he's sort of a very proficient pianist, isn't he? Yeah. Don't laugh. Um, <laughs> um, this time it kind of has an extra layer of, of fub, uh, funk rubbed into it. Yeah. Um, like if you told me that he kind of chopped and screwed a bunch of these from an old Prince demo that was found at Paisley Park or something, I wouldn't have been all that surprised. Yeah. Um, yeah, this album, this one's strange for me, because the first half of it, I don't feel like is actually that much of a hip-hop record at all. No. It's more of a kind of a soul record, a sort yeah. of neo-soul electronic funk record, kind of in the similar vein to... Channel Orange or um, uh, True by Solange Knowles or mm-hmm. you know something from the internet who were also obviously a part of the Odd Future Collective and and brought that funkier element to the equation. Yeah. So um, yeah, I I uh, I was very pleasantly surprised from that, and also I couldn't figure out where the fucking hell Tyler came in <laughs> at any point because. It feels like he takes more of a, a production and, and sort of ambassadorial yeah, he, role. He on certainly this album. takes a backseat on the first few right. tracks. Um, he is there. I would say all the way through the album, it's at points difficult to tell what's Tyler and what's not because he is such a versatile yeah. vocalist that sometimes um, he will come in and you'll have to double take and. Like, is that Tyler? Is, yeah. Is that someone featuring? I... I'd imagine there's you know a lot of studio trickery involved in that. Mm-hmm. You know he's he's got a history of kind of vocal manipulation. Yeah. Um, and then um, you know this this album is also very guest heavy. Yeah. The, it has Solange on it. Yeah. It has uh, Kanye West at one point. Yeah. Who I didn't recognise was on the song Puppet. Um, yeah. It has Lil Uzi Vert, who is a sort of prominent figure in a scene I couldn't give two shits about. <laughs> the kind of SoundCloud yeah. rap scene. Yeah. Because um, if I sound a, a little bit apprehensive with this, I think the second half of this album, it, there is a, a sort of a big drop-off for me. Really? Yeah, because it starts to incorporate a lot of that SoundCloud mumble rap yeah. that I just I cannot for the life of me get on board with ah. I th- this must be a, a point of difference yeah. for us although I'm not the biggest advocate of kind of soundcloud rappers I think it's one of the most uh, shock full scenes in music at the moment there are so many yeah it's absolutely that. unstoppable yeah is and it good though the vast majority of it, no. <laughs> um, I don't think necessarily the sound of it itself I'm adverse to. Um, 
So I, I don't it's more the vocal stylings, I think. The, yeah. the, the mumble rapping, you know. Yeah. I'm starting to sound like the old man now, aren't I? <laughs> I, 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 no, I, I really do like the first half of this record. I think it is sort of leaps and bounds for, for Tyler, certainly from the Tyler I know. Is it more sort of, I'm guessing, has he been kind of building to this over yeah. time? Oh, yeah, definitely. The last album, um, Flower Boy, was much more in this vein. Mm. Um, I think you'd actually like that record based on what you said. Okay. I was. I think I listened to it once and then just put it down. I, I okay. But. I don't yeah. think the hooks on that album were as catchy as. I mean, Earthquake is a song that got stuck it, in my head. I think possibly my favourite song from this. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything quite as catchy as that on the album before. He's becoming a lot better mm. at writing those kind of hooky, catchy, yeah. soul influenced songs. I was very pleasantly surprised to hear him going back to his roots a little bit on the second half right, of okay. the album. So I think I maybe took a slightly different stance, although, as you said, a lot of the things that he was doing on those early albums have aged really, really badly and actually weren't really acceptable at the time. Mm. The actual style of the music is something I really, really like. Yeah. So to hear him kind of going back to that and that very kind of low rap voice delivery mm. that he has to hear that come in on songs like what's good was a, yeah, a nice see, surprise I think for that's me possibly where i drop off a little bit i don't know i'm sorry <laughs> no you don't have to apologize I, um, to me i feel like i maybe need to try a little harder with yeah. this record i mean putting this one in the show was an interesting decision yeah. and i've definitely felt i would say this album has kind of got me partially invested in Tyler again. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, I'm not going to just easily say that I've completely checked out on Tyler the Creator and, and fuck this and I'm out of here. Yeah. I feel like it's quite a difficult album to actually get your head around. Yeah, I didn't there's a think hell of a lot ever, going on. I didn't think you could ever make an album this sort of layered and complicated. Mm. I think that's another thing I think the one that the best thing about this album I think is the way the kind of the composition of it mm. I, I think I do think Tyler is a bit of a musical genius in the way that he can put songs like this together right. with so many layers with so much going on at once and I don't think it sounds like I don't know if you do but I don't think it sounds like a mess at any point I think they're all kind of coherent songs Oh yeah, they are all very. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, as lukewarm as I am about this album, as, as sort of six out of ten tea bags as I am about it, mm -hmm. um, one thing that I can say with confidence is that the production on this album is fucking brilliant, mm -hmm. really is. And so, you know, long may that continue. Yeah. I would like to see him make an album that's entirely in the vein of something like Earthquake. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Uh, I'm going to give this a seven, okay. I think. I, it's not my favourite Tyler record. What is your favourite? 
Um, I think my favourite solo title record is probably his second one, and now I'm forgetting what it's called. Is it called Wolf? Wolf. Yeah. yeah. I think that's my favourite one. Okay. That's the kind of sweet spot of everything that he does, I think, for me. So. Let me see how I feel about this album a few months down the line. Yeah, we'll come back Because I feel it. like there's a lot to unpick in a relatively short space of time. Yeah. A lot of albums we've had to review. Yeah. Um, Right, so that's Eagle by Tyler, the creator. Let's talk about Weather State um, and the and the somewhat long-awaited debut album from Weather yeah. State. Feels like it's been a long time coming from those uh, from those Southwest sort of rascals. Rascals, absolutely. Put a little disclaimer in here. Uh, we've obviously had Weather State on the podcast mm-hmm. a few times. Um, and I would go so far as to call the Weather State guys friends. Now, when you're in this industry and when you're sort of hanging out with bands and stuff, I think a lot of people kind of are, are going to judge you if you find it kind of hard to criticise an album that your that your friends have made. Yeah. Because there is a, a sort of a sense of pride that may cloud your judgement. Um, so maybe, you know, we've obviously had Weather State on the podcast a few times. This is coming out on Failure by Design Records, which feels like kind of extended family of the Bitch and Brew podcast at this point mm-hmm. um, but I do just want to say that you know this podcast is kind of set up to be a positive music podcast and you know I don't really know where I was going with this but I just want to kind of put that disclaimer in there to cut, so people don't think I'm being completely biased I'm kind of no. kind of I mean, if you can go back and listen to every episode of the Bitch and Review, we've never slated an album because we go out of our way to pick oh, ones that. I don't know. We did do the Black album by Weezer. Oh yeah, that was okay. bum. That was yeah. truly bum, wasn't okay. it? <laughs> but we do go some way to pick albums that we know we're going to enjoy to a to a certain extent at yeah. least. Um, so I so. undenied a lot about including Weather State in this podcast mm-hmm. because I wondered whether it might be a little bit just too close to the heart yeah because I know how much has actually gone into the making of this record yeah um, but I thought you know like you say fuck it you know we pick albums because we're trying to be positive about music this is a positive music podcast yeah so um <laughs> so we're going to talk about their debut I'm born a sick um, like I said it came out on failure by design records it's been well over three years on from their EP Dumbstruck, which, well, what what do you, everyone already knows what I think about Dumbstruck, Brad? What do you think? When it came out, I, that makes it sound like I don't like it now. When it came out, it definitely made my ears prick up. Yeah. And become very excited for what was next. Yeah. I I remember when it actually came out. I I originally thought, okay, this is this is good. Yeah. You know, this this is just part of the whole not being biased thing. Like I'm able to recognise where a band like Weather State were able to improve. Yeah. They had absolute hooks for days. Yeah. Very reminiscent of kind of the um, mid '90s boom of pop punk. Yeah. Bands like The Offspring and Green Day and uh, off, uh, I've said Offspring, haven't I? Bad Religion, maybe yeah. to a lesser extent, The Descendants. I know Harry, their singer and guitarist, is a huge Descendants fan. So, yeah. you know, ba- bands 
of that nature. Definitely. Felt yeah. like a throwback, but it still felt young and contemporary and yeah. and fresh. Um, and then they brought out Sympathy a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that showed a hell of a lot of promise. Mm-hmm. I think. I really just think Weatherstate are great at making simple, carefree, summery, pop, not even like pop punk, but sort of more just straight up punk rock anthems, Yeah, if you will. I think they do, I think it is pop punk, uh, in a similar thing when you were mentioned Employed to Serve and you said Metalcore question mark, Yeah, and I said it's Metalcore and what Metalcore should mean, I think whether state do pop punk in what I kind of wish pop punk actually meant. <laughs> yes. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, exactly. Um, they distill it back down to its kind of essence. Yeah. A bit, you know, and they go take it back to its roots, and they are really, really good at doing that. Yeah. I mean, it comes roaring out of the traps with Ghost. Mm-hmm. And I think it just sets the pace so well for, for the record, for the rest of the record, really. Um, yeah. Because from there it it sort of barely relents. It it does sort of change its pace a few times, but yeah. it stays at a very high level of sort of um, of hookiness, Definitely, if yeah. you will. Yeah, and it does change its pace a bit. There isn't the kind of pop punk ballad put in there. No, and um, thank God. <laughs> really, you I'm not a fan of the pop punk. You hate the pop punk ballad, really. Feels like it's often there because it feels like it needs to be there. Yeah. I I think one thing that I did take away from the Dumbstruck EP is they were really good at doing the the fast hooky shit, Mm -hmm. and they might need to balance it out a little bit more with some mid-pace stuff. Yeah. Um, And I think they went some way towards achieving that with sympathy, which is on this album as well. So. Mm We've had that song for a little while. Yeah. And um, and I think they take that even kind of further with this record. Songs like, um, well, the, the lead single from this album, Brain Dead, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I cannot get out of my head. I don't know about you, but... Yeah, and, um, you know, they, they do pick up... I think I think... One of the best things about this record is it is magnificently well paced. Yeah, it is the perfect kind of length, mm-hmm. this, uh, both in terms of the album and the kind of the, the track lengths as well. Yeah, um, and like you said, it, it's not necessarily the most sort of dynamic album. One thing I would like to maybe hear them do a bit more of is to kind of go even further into that mid-range territory. Yeah. There's a song called Emma Lynn, which kind of stands out on the record for me for being a little bit sort of more considered than the the sort of the rest of the album yeah because I think while songs like Brain Dead and Medicate and Rotten Lungs as well um, are absolute ragers yeah it is actually they they are very talented when it comes to dialing back just a little bit and doing a a Sympathy or an Emma Lynn Mm -hmm. if you will yeah yeah, I think um, they show, I think, although their influences are very firmly on their sleeves, I think, just as a band, mm. um, 
they kind of make that part of their identity as a band and I think there's a <laughs> yeah are we talking about the uh the, video. The, the Medicaid video. So <laughs> yeah. all this time of going, I can't wait for them to stop calling us a Green Day ripoff. <laughs> and then the last time they say I think that, that's such a brilliant thing to do, though. I think the marketing make. around this record, not to be kind of too industry, <laughs> but you know, getting Dave Benson Phillips to do the promo video for it, and <laughs> and and the videos have been superbly made as well. Shout out Benny P, uh, Ben Pollard. Um, yeah, the uh, the video that, let's face it, rips off. Um, the video for Medicaid ripped off Basket Case <laughs> by Green Day and it's provided endless amusement for a lot of people. You see that Mike Dirk yeah, actually retweeted that, yeah. it. Yeah. That was Which just proves how kind of effective it is and I mean why not if you're you know, why not show, show your influences in that mm. way, I suppose, what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Um, but they have a kind of a, a Britishness to them, I think. I, I think there's I think a... Harry's voice is I, th- I think there's a sort of a dryness yeah, uh, and a sort of a... A, sense, a, a sort of quite dry self-deprecating because yeah. Harry's, Harry's voice it, it's very sort of um, you know what we're saying about Ginger having a 40 fags a day voice yeah. Harry Hoskins has 80 fags a day voice <laughs> um, but he, he's very lovely and mild-mannered when you actually <laughs> meet him um, but uh yeah, that that kind of has a, the American pop punk twang to it, but I yeah. think the rest of it definitely has yeah, a distinctly British feel. Even to lyrically, it. there's a sort of a cynical. Yeah, the album's obviously called Born, Born a Cynic. Cynic. Yeah, but there is that sort of British kind of slightly downbeat, cynical edge to the lyrics, I mm. think, which is a cool, a cool side to them. Um, I also think the guitar is fantastic. Yeah. Shout out yeah. Callum Millwood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the the songs appear very simple mm-hmm. on first listen, and the guitars are there are lots of nice kind of effects and flourishes in the guitar kind of all the way through the album. Mm. Which I don't think a lot of people would really expect of this genre. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a really nice, it's a really nice touch. And it's something to set Red State apart. I think. Yeah. So I think we kind of knew already that I was going to love this album. Um, I, I'm giving this an 8 out of 10 um, for the reasons I've already explained. I think hooks for days, anthems for days, maybe go a little bit for more of the mid-pace yeah. next time. Maybe not. We're not talking ballad territories here. I don't think they could really... I don't know if they could pull that off. I, 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 I if think, they want to give that um, a go, I have every bit of faith in them to give it a go. But... You know, th- those, those songs like Emmeline really do stand stand out for me for being yeah. a little bit sort of um, a little bit of a sort of a welcome change to sort of proceedings. Yeah, I think this is a really effective debut album in that it does make you think that they can mm. do more, which I think is something all the best debut albums yeah, do, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely, it's a debut um, album at the end of the day, and it's taken a long time for it to come out. I yeah. don't know if we'll necessarily like with any luck we could get a follow-up album quickly i would like them to do that yeah so if you're listening lads pull your fucking fingers out wriggle on (laughs) um it's a it's a high a very high seven okay um and if you are a sort of fan of 90s pop punk and and contemporary pop punk has kind of left you feeling disillusioned then i'd say go in on this album definitely give it a go yeah and it may 
may kind of help you understand that pop punk isn't quite so dead. <laughs> so, at the end of this massive four-hour recording session, we have come to the, the final album, which we're going to be chatting about, and then you can go away and not have to spend any time with me for a little while. Oh no, you're seeing me next week, aren't we? Because we're going to go see Nervous. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sound... I was really struggling to fake sounding disappointed then. I know. I just, was like, oh, it'd be funny if I sound really disappointed and I just couldn't do it. Couldn't do just it. Didn't have the... You're just too wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, heck. <laughs> um, so the last album we're going to talk about um, comes from Petrol Girls. Mm-hmm. It is called Cut and Stitch. Yeah. Um, it is the second full-length album yeah. uh, from the uh, feminist punks sort of based in London and Austria. Mm-hmm. But they formed on International Women's Day in, I want to say, 2013 mm-hmm. at a DIY sort of all-women's uh, punk show or sort of feminist punk show and the rest is kind of history. Mm. And, and that's kind of... That, that DIY ethos has kind of influenced everything they've done since. Yeah. So did you know much about Petrol Girls before this album? I have heard quite a few songs of theirs. I've never really gone in on the first record. Um, uh, Talk of Violence was yeah. the name of the first album. Uh, I understand they have a couple of EPs yeah. as well. I've just kind of heard songs, enough to know that they um, are incredibly combustible. Kind of rage fueled, yeah, punk, feminist punk bands. It's especially on the first album, Talk of Violence. Mm-hmm. What is it? Touch me again, and I'll fucking kill yeah. you. Over and over and over again. And and Ren makes a rather brilliant appearance on the first Cult Dreams record, or mm-hmm. Cult Dreams, formerly known as Kamikaze Girls. Yeah. Um, on the song KG Go to the Pub, which is all about, uh, yeah. you know, shouting down masculine dickheads who think it's alright to touch up women in pubs and clubs so rather fitting really Um, I I should say we're going into this album as kind of two cis white men Mm -hmm. so a lot of the sort of subject matter of this record we're going to try and discuss it in a way that only kind of we can Mm -hmm. to tie it back to Petrol Girls it feels like they're very much a band who are here to educate, yeah. while also sounding abrasive, sort of nihilistic mm-hmm. at times. Um, there were definitely hints towards a lot of the things that they do on this record with the EP from last year, The Future Is Dark, mm-hmm. uh, which is when they signed to Hassle Records. Okay. And yeah, there were there were definitely hints towards something that was sonically way beyond what Petrol Girls had ever done before, mm-hmm. and I mean, mo- leagues beyond yeah. what they had done on Talk of Violence, which was, by all accounts, a good punk rock record. Mm-hmm. But I've not listened to it in a in a little while, which might be a little bit sort of telling. Mm-hmm. Would you call Cut and Stitch a a, a punk record? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Would you call it something else? I would say it perhaps, on on the sonic level, has more to do with, you know, I'm, I'm trying very hard not to get too attached to genre labels here. Mm-hmm. 
because I think that can be quite a dangerous activity yeah. when you're a critic but um, or just someone who talks about music into a microphone <laughs> um, I would say it has a lot in common with post-hardcore yeah. and I mean that in the sense of at the drive-in yeah um, I mean these are these are big names to sort of hold um, hold Petrol Girls in the same esteem as, but bands like Refused as well. I think Refused is a big one that comes to mind. Yeah. For me, especially uh, Shape of Mind to Come. Yeah. Um, and to say that this album, this album in the same breath as the Shape of Punk to Come, I, I don't know if we can, but then that is a tall order and I don't think that belittles quite how brilliant this album actually is. Also, I think Shape of Punk to Come became the album it's become over time. Yes, as it, it became of uh, increasingly influential and people went back to it and reappraised it and that's how these albums become. Would you like to think that something like this can become? I would very much like to think something like this. So tell me how you feel about Cut and Stitch. I feel I, I don't feel best placed to talk about it as um, an evolution for Petrol Girls sonically because I don't have a kind of thorough knowledge of their material before. No. Um, I haven't listened to the first album in its entirety or the EPs in their entirety. Just know some songs. Okay. Um, and I've not seen them live prior to now. Um, I've seen them live once, but it was a, a good good old time ago. ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still recognise how much of a step forward this is. Um, I just think, I've always maintained that if you kind of, if you are slightly more restrained and then you kind of lean into the, if you dish kind of anger and rage out in bursts, it can often be really, really effective, sometimes more effective. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. Think, um, and I think this album does that brilliantly. It has a lot more quieter moments than I expected. It's in fact d- it begins almost with uh, almost spoken words. Yeah, and that's kind of peppered throughout the mm-hmm. album, isn't it? In, yeah, in various interludes. Because I saw this, I thought fourteen tracks long. That's quite long, but a lot of them, sort of four or five of them, are interlude type tracks yeah. featuring spoken word from from Ren Aldridge their their terrific front woman yeah um cuz she yeah, is I mean what fantastic presence she yeah. is um you know um she's an amazing presence at this record I would not want to get on the wrong side of her definitely she could be quite yeah. ferocious at times yeah. with her delivery in this um think the um, the kind of angular guitar work that goes yeah. on across the album very I mean as well. the opening the, the sort of the first song proper the the sound which possibly for me uh, you know, it's one of the best songs on the record mm-hmm. whether I can call it the best I'm not 100% sure it's one of the best things that Petrol Girls have ever done for sure mm-hmm. um it almost what you say about angular and sort of off kilter and 
almost quite mathy in its time signatures yeah. and the way the sort of drums are switched up quite often um, almost has a bit of a throwback to like early Biffy yeah I've got Biffy Clyro down here yeah, as well like sort of Black and Sky yeah. Vertigo of Bliss Biffy as opposed to sort of you know yeah the more Infinity Land puzzle yeah it's that off kilter and yet still quite melodic yeah guitar line but yeah that definitely recalls early Biffy I think this album is a really really great um, kind of skewering of where not just Britain but particularly it feels like particularly Britain mm. it feels like it kind of um, really kind of skewers where Britain is at the moment and where culture is at the moment and all yeah. the problems and the album that it reminded me most of in that sense is uh, Great Britain right okay Galleries. I feel like this and like you said about Shape of Quantum Come it's a it's a tall order it's big words to say that this is the new Great Britain but this is the new but I think it, it definitely is a, that kind of album for mm. 2019 it, it has this uh, very similar uh love for sort of it has a very similar love for storytelling thank you that's the lovely barman taking our, our glasses away at Brewdog <laughs> by the way um, I was going to invite him on to see what he thought of the album um, yeah so um, I, I think it has a, a very similar similar sort of uh, sense of storytelling mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a concept record cut and stitch no but it's not a concept record from what I can understand anyway yeah um, but what you were saying about the sort of paint, you know, how it kind of, for lack of a better phrase, paints a picture of where we are at in Britain at the moment. Yeah. The song No Love for a Nation, I think it is a brilliant exhibition of like a, a very dry British sense of humour. Yeah. Um, it ends on a sort of kazoo chorus <laughs> of, um, of God Save the Queen, which is so mag, so sort of like simple but it's just the sort of framing of it I think yeah. just makes it hilarious <laughs> and um, and so ballsy yeah. as well very punk yeah it's incredibly very, punk very punk yeah that. yeah I think that you know I, what the fuck was on about by saying this yeah, might this not be is a the punk thing, record I think, um, it sounds a little bit wanky to say that well punk's an attitude not a genre but yeah. I think that you can it is kind of it is a post-hardcore record. I think you're absolutely right to say that it's a post-hardcore record. Yes, but, but it is a punk, it is also record, a punk in spirit, record in spirit. terms of its spirit. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think uh, you know, going back to that sense of humour. I think um, you know, while you were saying you wouldn't want to necessarily get on the the wrong side of Ren, um, there are there are moments where she kind of um, where she becomes very animated, and there's a song like Big Mouth where you know after the first chorus um ren puts on almost like a a a childlike voice and sort of says you know little girls are meant to be seen and not heard but i say up yours one two three four (laughs) and it and it sort of it has a very it, it is done in a very juvenile but not immature way no um and I, th- I think that's there, there are many elements on this record things like the kazoo chorus things like Ren saying up yours in that way yeah. that are just so effective and and very provocative and profound yeah yeah 
I agree. I, I um. For for me, it's got a high eight. It's um. It's a high nine for me. Wow. I've been pretty floored by how good I think this record is. I mean, if it's not. If it's not the album of the year, it's my punk album of the year so far. It's my brilliant. Yeah, I've been really, and I think now that now that we are done with the show and I've got some time <laughs> to listen to other albums, I'm going to be digging into. I will Petra be going Girls back to it a lot and going back to this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Compared to what Petrol Girls have done previously, so much more musically dexterous, and that mm-hmm. is wonderful to hear. Yeah. Much more dynamic, melodic. And they are not afraid to show their vulnerabilities at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, songs like Sky, which is about Ren's, uh, Ren's dog who passed away. Mm. Um, you know, of all this kind of in-your-face, uh, upfront, yeah, outspoken feminism, album. there is sort of a side, there is a vulnerable side that really kind of bears all on this record. And... You know, the, the balance between those two, I think, has been nailed magnificently mm. on this record. I'm really, I'm really pleased to hear that it's been so well rated in your books. Yeah. And I, I, would be, I would be very surprised if we're talking about the top 20 albums of the year and this, for me, isn't in it. Yeah. That's me for too. sure. Yeah. I think I will only love it even more over time. Mm-hmm. You know what? No, fuck it. This gets a low nine for me. Yeah. This gets this gets a nine. Low <laughs> nine kind of belittles it a little bit. This gets a nine for me. Yes. Even just talking about it, don't you love the fact that we have an album here now that has just opened yeah. up the conversation that, in such for a me, way? That, that's what this is. This is the first punk record I've heard in ages that I think perfectly captures a message that needs to be said now. You know, it feels very, very, very vital. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, Petrol Girls, Cut and Stitch. It's out now on Hassle Records. Can I just say as well, Hassle Records have been on one fucking hell of a run lately. Mm. Can we say, yeah, they've they've got Petrol Girls. They had that Press Club album, which we talked about at the start of the year. They have Pagan at the moment. Uh, Lonely the Brave are coming back soon with their new vocalist. Uh, We've had Foxjaw, just been sent to them recently. Steak over in Belgium. The Brutus album. They've been on a hell of a run. Is they yeah. Let's just say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, shout out Hustle Records, shout out Petro Girls, and shout out you for listening to this episode of The Bitchin' Review uh, with me, Danny Randon, and him, Brad Orn. Um, Brad, what's your Twitter? What How can people... At Brad underscore Thorn. Okay, and I'm at Danny underscore Randon, and we are at Bitchin' Brewcast on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. I say me, he doesn't have access to the Twitter. I won't let him, because he'll just waz off about Deftones all day. <laughs> um, and and he, I, I feel like we need to see a video of this of this radio Yeah, um, uh, PayPal, I'll put details in my PayPal, uh, or maybe I'll make an OnlyFans or something. Okay. And um, <laughs> people can pay me money, and I will... I will think about showing you a video of me dancing. Well, you know where would be a brilliant place to share the video of you dancing to radio? The Bitchin' Crew official Facebook (laughs) community for friends, fans and listeners of Bitchin' Brew Podcast. If you like the sound of joining our community, having a bit of a chat about music and good times and just hanging out, 
then uh, then then definitely join us. Uh, I'll leave the link to join the Facebook group in the description of this video. Of course, subscribe. We're on all good podcast platforms. If you like this episode, then share it with your friends on social media. Maybe give us a, a good a good thumb not a thumbs up but a good review yeah. on Apple Podcasts and um, you know help boost us up in the rankings and uh, yeah long may this continue long may we be able to go to bars and chat about music for hours with each other Brad it's been a pleasure yeah, as it's always been, it's been lovely and um, I will see you in June which is now oh my god we're caught up this feels so good anyway say goodbye Brad goodbye Brad <laughs> see you later everyone thank you very much for listening and don't forget to be loud be kind and be bitching